Thank you so much for listening to DNVR Biz. For the 95% of you that are listening to this through a mobile device, I would really appreciate it if you opened up that app right now and gave this a five-star review. It's the only way for this podcast to become more visible and reach more people. Thanks again. What's going on, everybody? Another episode of DNVR Biz here. We have a really amazing guest, Nikki Jabvala today. One of the most accomplished reporters in the country. One of the most accomplished media people that I've ever known. A pro's pro. This is her life. She lives the lifestyle. And... I've always had so much respect for her, you know, tried to hire her in the past. (laughs) So like a big, big, big Nikki stand and was really excited to get her on the pod. I've known Nikki for years now. And not only is she super talented and and great at what she does, but she's a super cool and unique person as well. And so I love getting these kind of unique independent minds on like Nikki is really looks at the world through kind of her own scope and has kind of identified what she likes and what she doesn't and she's doubled down on what she enjoys and turned out to be a really amazing reporter. So super excited to have Nikki on to talk about kind of all facets of this business, especially on the newspaper side. So without further ado, let's go to the interview with Nikki Javala. I heard you went platinum on your first album. But tell me this, why is it now? I heard you only sold about 200,000. Now what's that telling you? That your fans was never down. Got you wondering now. Maybe I should have stayed underground. But you can't come back. Because real rap fans, they hate you. You overdid your image. Now you can't stay true. Hey, Nikki, thanks for the time. Yeah, thanks for having me. So, really interesting time for you because you worked here with us in this market for... A long time for, what was that? No, uh, six years, six years, six years. Okay. Yeah. Years off of it. Six years. And now you go to the Washington post at a time where you're going to cover football and that's exactly what you're covering. Actually Washington football. That's the name. (laughs) The Washington football team. (laughs) Yeah. 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 So I guess, you know, what I would love to do is talk about getting in and, and really go through your career, but let's just start at the end here. How did this develop? What made you make the decision? And, you know, I guess maybe end that with your opinion on this news industry as you go to kind of the giant right now. Yeah, so they reached out to me in February, really, just to kind of gauge my interest. And I've always been of the mind that, you know, you explore every opportunity to its fullest, and then you can decide from there. I didn't really have any intention of leaving Denver. I really like Denver. Denver's my home now. My parents are there. My brother and sister are still there. But, it, you know, it's the Washington Post. That's a dream job for me. Sure. Um, so, of course, I'm going to listen. And... You know, we we had gone so far as to make arrangements for me to fly out and, and interview with people. And then the pandemic hit and everything shut down. So it was it was on hiatus for a couple months, three months. And then they they circled back once, you know, they knew that they could still move forward and, and hire someone. Uh, and I did all my interviews by Zoom. And two days later, they offered and frankly, it was an offer too good to pass up. I mean, again, this is, this is a job that for me as a journalist, I, I feel like I've been working for my entire career. It's just a dream gig, you know, and I'm, I'm very fortunate, especially 
during a pandemic to, to have this opportunity. So, you know, definitely wanted to take it was sad about leaving though, was just starting to feel like I was not getting comfortable. I don't think I'll ever get comfortable, but starting to feel like I occasionally knew what I was talking about when people asked me about the Broncos, it was rare, but occasionally. So now I'm, I'm starting, starting over a little bit, but it's been, it's been an interesting few weeks covering this team. So yeah, that's how I ended up out here. And then as far as, you know, kind of the general state of the industry, I mean, I I think it's, to me, it feels like it evolves by the minute. I mean, it's ever changing. I think, you know, one of the, the biggest developments I would say in the past, you know, 10, 12 years, of course, is Twitter. I think that's just changed the dynamic. It's changed how all of us do our job and, you know, for better and for worse. But I think right now it's, it's, it's a pretty scary time to be in media, whether you're covering sports or news or, or whatever, just because of the need for it. I feel like it's always been strong, but I feel like it's stronger now more than ever. Uh, I feel like I know that, you know, a lot of newspapers are are really struggling and they don't have all the resources that I'm sure they would like to really put out the news as they, as they want. And, you know, there are other extenuating circumstances that have made it somewhat of a perilous time to be a reporter. It's not, (laughs) it's not that glamorous of a job right now, (laughs) um, if it ever was, but sure. You know, I absolutely love it. I couldn't see myself doing anything else. I'm not qualified to do anything else. Maybe don't tell prospective employers that, but it's, it's still, it's the thing I love and I'm, I'm grateful for it every day. You know, this is, I, I guess, you know, I want to ask, ask this like as respectfully as possible to the post um, who I love and grew up with in this town, but you know, you've worked for the times and now the Washington post, these are two papers with, and, and, and listen, I, I obviously know like the market size and the audience uh, that's available to them is obviously much bigger and they're known as somewhat of a, worldwide or or a national brand rather than a local brand in, in a lot of categories but with that said is there something that these two are doing that other newspapers around the country are missing i think it's important to remember that they're privately owned which makes okay. a big difference sure. um the new york times is family owned the washington post is owned by jeff bezos so they have the resources that many regional papers do not I mean, the staff size at the Washington Post, I mean, every day we're still hiring people. I mean, you don't, right now, newspapers are laying off folks. Annually, they're laying people off. You know, they don't have the means to do some of the bigger, more in-depth reporting. A lot of them do it anyway, which is all the more remarkable in my mind. Sure. But, you know, to, to... we are fortunate in that we have the means and the resources to do the kind of print and digital storytelling that I, I think is important and different. But, you know, I, I, I think you also got to remember that, you know, being privately owned is, is a luxury, you know, absolutely. You know, the, the Denver post is, is owned by a hedge fund that's bleeding it dry, yep. uh, sadly. So um, it makes a big difference. And, you know, it's, 
it's unfortunate, but that's. Uh, that's let's let's talk about staff. You know, mm-hmm. do you think that? And I know I'm crossing way into culture and stuff with this, and really even you and a lot of your colleagues. You know, the way that you even, uh, you know, identify yourself. So for me, who is is looking at this from the other side of the paradigm, I see these big scaled out rooms with tons of copywriters and copy editors and page designers and stuff. And I just say like, no wonder this, no wonder they're cutting this thing out. No wonder this doesn't make money. No wonder this doesn't work anymore. No wonder this doesn't scale. To me, it's just not necessary. It just doesn't need it. So I guess, where do you feel with that? Am I way off on that? (laughs) This is one time where I'm going to completely disagree with you. I think, I mean, (laughs) I, cause I've been on the other side, I've been on both the editing and the writing side. So I feel like I have a, I guess a different perspective. I don't know. I I am so grateful for my editors. I've always, as a writer, I think the good writers have good editors behind them. Truly, I believe that you know they they catch things that the writers wouldn't otherwise. I mean, you stare at your own copy for so long, you're just not going to see certain things. They yeah, yeah, they ask cool. questions that you wouldn't otherwise ask, and you know my my editor now is phenomenal. And I it's not just one, which I think is important. There are many layers you know, and, and especially covering some of the topics that we do, you want more of a buffer between you and the reader. You want to make sure that everything checks out. I think when people think of copy editing, they, they think of just basic grammar and, and typos and throwing in a photo, but it, it goes beyond that. It's making sure you have the right details and it's portrayed in the right way. And um, a lot of times they can, you know, they can do things to copy and they can um, suggest things in reporting that make it a lot better and at times save the writer from some pretty awful mistakes. So I think good editors are worth their weight in gold. You get a lot of bad editors, but the good ones are, are really good. So if we just move just adjacent to the writing side of this, has the addition of podcast and video and as you said kind of in the opening of this the addition of unknown layers on a you know daily basis what it seems in this industry has that do you look at that as a hindrance or do you welcome it is there some that you like more than others what is your you know how how do you look at everything outside of the journalistic side no i think it's all great i mean it's Again, journalism is always evolving, you know, it's, you know, the print medium, it feels old school to a lot of people, you know, and I I think it's important that, you know, to keep up newspapers, outlets of any kind need to be able to provide what their audience wants. Now, again, I think there's a balance. I I think, you know, if you're reporting news, it's, it's more than just providing what the reporter or what your audience wants, but also kind of, you know, making sure you're, I think there is some news judgment involved. Definitely. Um, you're kind of telling them, all right, well, this is important. You can make your own judgments and inferences, but here's the news. This is, this is what we found and you can make your own judgment. So I think there's a balance, but I also think it's incredibly important that we continue to evolve that we, you know, the, the podcasts are, are great. The videos, I, I think this is how people consume news these days and, and it needs to be included. 
I don't like video because I don't like looking at myself personally. <laughs> <laughs> but that's just the personal thing. I, I, I'm not I, against I, video, I, I but really, like. <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> No, but like i like watching others you know um i'm podcasts. more of an audio like, guy than a, than a video guy myself. yeah like i i love listening to podcasts i don't like listening to myself but i like listening to podcasts so yeah no i'm all for it i kind of like just hiding behind the byline whenever i can and not really being a part of it but it's always possible. Let's talk about breaking in to the industry. This is something that it's kind of been a theme here. Last couple of days, I was on the panel for the Lee Steinberg conference um, last weekend or the weekend before. Mm-hmm. And, it, you know, everyone kind of gave an input on getting in and it really is breaking in. It's kind of like this, there, there's really no path that you can take that's going to deliver you to sports media, no matter what school you go to or whatever, you know? Yeah. So let's, let's, let's kind of go back to your career and talk about that. You come out of, uh, you know, University of North Carolina in Chapel Hill, 2007. And, you know, based on your resume, it goes straight to Sports Illustrated. I'm sure that the career and and the jump was less glamorous than that sentence sounds. Can you walk us through that? Yeah. I mean, what I quickly discovered in this industry, it's not what your grade point averages. No, not one employer has ever asked me what my GPA was or what classes I studied. In fact, most of the people I worked with at SI were not journalism majors. I was the only one kind of stupid enough to think I needed a degree in it. Um, <laughs> It was, I mean, what I learned, it was about your experience and second to that, your, your connections. So throughout college, I wrote a lot. I I freelanced for the local paper. I wrote for the student newspaper, wherever I could write, I wrote. So I had clips, I had tangible experience that I could present to people, you know, and I had one professor who was a former SI writer. So he kind of guided me on, you know, where I should apply and all this stuff. So I ended up at Sports Illustrated because I had done an internship with SI Kids after my junior year. And then I did another one with SI Kids after I had graduated. And as you can imagine, my mom was not particularly thrilled that I signed up for just an internship after getting my degree and moving to New York on, you know, not very much money. But I got, yeah, yeah, exactly. (laughs) But before the internship, ended it there was an opening on the production desk so as much as i wanted to write directly out of college i was on i was a producer i was a really low level producer and i i did that for five years but i got sports illustrated on the resume and that i met a lot of fantastic people who led me to my next job and then my next job and then ironically at the athletic the person who hired me was the person who first hired me at Sports Illustrated. Mm, so that's great. The people you know, you know, it's keep them. You know? yeah, it, it's it, this industry, I'm sure all, but this in particular is very, very connection heavy. I mean, mm-hmm. you cannot be burning bridges and do anything in this. Yeah, no, at all. no, no. Um, let's let's real quick just talk about SI. I don't know how much you want to talk about your opinion on it, but you know, obviously it's awful. I think what the Maven has done is absolute trash. I totally agree. I totally agree. I can, I think they, I understand what they're trying to do. That's not to me. You don't take 
one of the greatest platforms in sports in America and do that and, and make it that there's other opportunities. You can do that. You can even do spinoffs. SI has these fanatic websites and stuff. That's fine. But to do what they did with the uh, sports Illustrated, I completely agree. Garbage. Yeah. They destroyed not just an iconic brand, but I mean, that was for the longest time, the pinnacle of sports journalism, so many great writers, so much great content there. So yeah, no, it's garbage. It's stupid what they've done. So talk to us about the times. I know I'm skipping sports on earth. You can jump in that. You, you can kind of, yeah, like that if you, yeah. Um, <laughs> but, but let's, let's talk about the times because I'd have to assume that, you know, you said that, that Washington Post is a dream job. I'm, I'm assuming that New York Times is, is sits right at the same level as that. Yes, correct. So um, I was, I was work? on the editing side. Yeah, so I was okay. on the editing okay. side there too. I helped edit on the sports desk, but I was mainly um, one of the homepage producers at the New York Times. So still in production, not loving production, but I really love my my time there. I, that was, it was like a year and a half. And I learned more in that year and a half than I ever did in college. Cause you sit the way it was organized at the New York times, you sit with everybody on the masthead. So at the time the executive editor was Joel Abramson and you sit with all the, all the managing editors and you kind of see how they operate. And there's a lot of layers to the editing and, you know, when major news breaks and quite a bit did while I was there, cause I worked, for a good bit of that time, I worked the overnight shift. So I was the only person in the newsroom from about 11 p.m. to 7 a.m. So it was me and I would work with a lot of the international bureau chiefs. And it was a lot of war news and not so great stuff. And it was a healthy reminder that I miss sports. So <laughs> yeah, I decided to come out to Denver and, you know, I found a paper that took pity on me enough to give me a job. So <laughs> yeah, that's how that happened. We're see, I, I totally expect, I know that I told you that I was going to throw you softballs and I feel like I've already, you know, asked you potentially controversial things. I just want to do one more just because, and these are just kind of coming up. There's a thing going on. I don't know. If, I don't know if you want to call it a thing, but you know, there is a point being made right now across social that, and and the Times just kind of brings this up. But but we we're we're seeing it kind of being talked about that there is a kind of, I guess, proponents of this one side of thought are saying that it's like a groupthink thing that's invading newsrooms, and the New York Times is is mm -hmm. is the one that's the heaviest on this subject. Do you see any of that? What do you think when you read that, you know, as somebody who's kind of been in this industry at every level for the last, you know, decade and a half? You're implying that, you know, the the perception that the New York Times and the Washington Post are liberal rags and that, you know, well, not even others are. Yeah, I mean, listen, yeah. not, not even that. It's okay. It's okay. Just put it out there. Well, it's okay. no, I, um, what, <laughs> what I was talking about more was, because not necessarily that. I think that's like super low-hanging fruit it, it is for question-wise. But just yeah. the idea that we're seeing reporters that are leaving and then reporters are saying like, hey, you know, this used to be a – free-flowing environment where we all had different, especially in some of the opinion side of the newsroom and stuff like that. Sure. And so what we're seeing is kind of reporter versus reporter, not necessarily like conservative guy hating the post or something like that, you know? Right. Right. I can only speak from my experience and I, I never felt like that. Yeah. 
honestly, like, and I, again, I'm, I'm always going to be somewhat biased having worked there and I enjoyed my time there. I voluntarily went there and was paid by those companies. Right. right, Um, but from my experience, I didn't, I didn't sense it. I didn't see it. I didn't experience it. So I can't really speak to it. The one, the one thing I do really like at these bigger papers and yes, there are some drawbacks, obviously. I mean, there are many more staffers, if you really want to make an impact, depending on your role, it's, you know, you're going to have varying levels of that. The one thing I really like is you can collaborate if the setting permits. And currently right now on the beat I'm on, it does. And that's one thing that kind of, you know, I always gravitated more to sports because there is kind of that feel where, you know, there, there's three of us on, you know, the Washington football team beat. But there's also national NFL writers and, you know, columnists. And I mean, it's a pretty healthy size sports staff. So um, pulling together resources. I like that. I didn't feel it was, I mean, so far from my experience at the post, I don't feel like it's at all competitive within the group at other places. I have felt like that. No doubt. I feel like everybody's kind of fighting for their own. And I think a lot of that is kind of this Twitter culture that, you know, everybody's fighting to be three seconds ahead of another reporter. And I think sometimes what gets lost in it is the, the importance of being right. I mean, you you remember who's wrong. You don't remember who was three seconds ahead of the others, but I don't know if I answered your question. I kind of yeah. rambled. No, 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 no. That was good. That was good. I, cause I, I think the most important thing is just kind of seeing how you, how you view things. Yeah. You know, I think in particular, there was a writer that, you know, left the times and they essentially said that, you know, their thoughts weren't respected and wanted anymore. And unless you have like this super liberal viewpoint that uh, you weren't accepted by the staff there. Mm-hmm. Uh, sure. and, and it was even pointed out that there was still even a large readership that wants some sort of an independent, you know, train of thought or a difference in views or difference in opinions, but it just won't be tolerated by the staff in general there. Um, right. You know, and this is obviously a super divisive time in America right now where it seems mm-hmm. like, you know, everyone is, is kind of on a side. I don't even know if it was like this even five or six years ago necessary where it still was, you know, political parties where people definitely had their heels dug in. I think now it's, it's almost just become a part of, people's identity they're like a walking democrat mm-hmm. or a walking republican or something like that right um, yeah so, so maybe that stimulates that but you know it seems to be in in we see these affected when they are in the times or yeah. if it's in the post because those are the biggest platforms. well i'll tell you i mean like at those two specific papers i've not experienced it i have no. felt that at other places though for sure i think a lot of it you know depends on the makeup of the newsroom you know i've worked places where i'm one of three minorities in the place and that mm, 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 sure. yeah you you feel kind of that tension to if you if you don't agree with a certain topic it's not great and i've you know i've actually had editors who have been in disagreement with what a subject of a story does or says and has used it as grounds to not run a story. Sure, sure, sure. I mean, you think about the national anthem protests throughout sports. There was a lot of that. And it 
honestly, it bugged the hell out of me. I think it's wrong. I don't think it's up to, you know, the editors or the reporters or whatever political feeling they have Mm. to use that as justification for not running, wanting to run a story for fear of, you know, upset, upsetting, you know, some of their readership. I, I think that's, that's the exact opposite of what yeah. um, news should be doing. So yeah, it definitely, I, I witnessed it, not, but not at the Washington Post or the New York Times. Uh, yeah. yeah. Smaller publications. Could you see yourself going more opinion? Uh, Cause you know, the thing about you is, is, um, I think, you know, people generalize you, uh, right? You smile like, uh, duh, right? <laughs> super, super easy, right? <laughs> but, you know, I think if, if people got to know you, you know, you're very unique and have a very independent mindset. And I think that in any given case might have a surprising answer on what your beliefs would be. <laughs> Are you comfortable just kind of not outside of jumping into the, you know, obviously on, we've, we've seen you, you know, address things on, on Twitter that were to me like no brainer human rights issues that, you know, most of us can agree with outside of that though. Have you ever thought of going outside of this, uh, you know, beat writer journalism, Nikki Javala and doing something opinion and sharing some of these unique thoughts and ways that you see things even inside of sports, maybe. Yeah. Um, it depends on the topic. I mean, I, I have no desire to be a columnist. I'm not particularly good at it. I don't, it's just, I just don't like it. Like I like reporting sounds probably stupid, but I like feature writing. Um, (laughs) I don't, I don't like to be a part of the stories Mm. and column writing. Obviously you're more a part of it. It's your opinion. Sure. So I, and again, I'm just not good at it. I am very opinionated as a person, as I'm right. sure you've discovered. <laughs> so yeah, there there are times where you know I have to use some restraint to, you know, not say things uh, <laughs> that would get myself in trouble. But you know, I I don't know. I just always view Twitter as kind of common sense ground. Don't do anything stupid, you know. Uh, and luckily, I don't drink, so it's not really a. <laughs> There's no risk there. <laughs> I'm crazy enough silver, but yeah, it's, it's a hard balance because I really do enjoy the reporting. I do enjoy the feature writing and it's important to me to maintain that credibility. So while, yeah, when I have a lot of opinions on while I'm reporting certain things, but I would, I don't want to ever share those while reporting them because it's not, it's not my place. And I, you know, it'll make my reporting look biased. So. Okay. So I'm going to throw a curveball here. I sound so old school, don't I? Whatever. <laughs> I'm going to throw you a curveball here and it's, it's, I'm going to piggyback off of you not drinking, which is a real thing. So one of the stigmas of Nikki Javala for the audience here doesn't party enough on combine week doesn't doesn't stay out late on combine week did you even that's know not that? true Did you know that's that was not, a thing about you that's, that's a thing about you i went out once <laughs> <laughs> that is not true i did i stayed up till like 2 a.m one time and that <laughs> that was enough <laughs> it was like, yeah i mean it's not like when you'd 
I mean, I, I drink. There, but I there don't, was like, like one drink, time like, in sports no. where you could like get drunk with a GM, and it's combine week, or or or, or an offensive coordinator, or hey, or just whatever. This was your. This is your one shot, and I'm speaking for all sports media. Like this is. And I'm not saying that everyone goes and gets – what I'm saying, though, is, like, there is, like, a – there's a downtown hub there, and everyone is out, and reporters and staff can mingle. And you would think, right? Yeah. Why don't you get know- drunk and get the executives drunk, and then you get great information? <laughs> Small problem there. I am a woman. <laughs> Me getting drunk while mingling with drunk executives – does not go well. Um, so good call, uh, good call, Nikki. Yeah. So um, I did it once. That was enough for me, and I didn't get drunk. I don't get drunk, but I witnessed all of it, and it was just a little <laughs> gross. It, it, it it, just... It's it's similar to what I just uh, just uh, described. Exactly. What yes, I it's described. Dis- yeah, it's disgusting. I mean, it's like because Indy has so many steakhouses because it's like you know business lunch capital. And then those steakhouses basically turn into like clubs at night because all the coaches and executives, they, they won the past until they changed the combine schedule. A lot of their interviews would go into like 10 PM. So afterwards they go drinking. And of course all the writers go out, they get, Oh yeah. If they get drunk enough, they're going to like tell us all these state secrets. So, all right, let's go through these motions. And it was, it was disgusting. Yeah. You know, what's funny is with as many secrets, the guys come back every year saying crazy stuff, but you know, none of it makes it into content. Like you can't use anything that you get anyway from being drunk at a Whataburger at 1am or whatever, you know, yeah. like, well, you can get some leads that can, yeah, yeah, just, that's true. That is true. But true. yeah, if you remember it. Let's jump to the Denver Post. How'd that work out? And I'm assuming that that's kind of the beginning of your beat writer existence. Correct. Yeah, no, the Washington Post, I mean, I mean Washington, but the Denver Post, they, they gave me a chance to, to join the Broncos beat. Like, again, I went out there to be a digital editor. And I wanted to be out there because my parents had moved there and I wanted to be closer to family. But as it, the first year, they, they asked me to just help out at training camp. So it was kind of the third wheel with Mike and Troy there. And then, you know, Mike left and then Troy left. And I think I just got pushed up by default because they didn't have enough money to get somebody qualified. So I just kind of hung around, which worked out. I mean, it worked out for me. I don't know how they feel, but it's crazy. Um, how, <laughs> like, like, Low key, just being around in this business is like one of the top three ingredients to like getting jobs. Just like being around as long as yeah, you, can. you can. I mean, Mark Schlereth always says you can't make the club in the tub, so you've right. got to be available. Yeah, that's um, right. That's right. So, I don't know if that's applicable to journalism, but I'm <laughs> applying it anyway. Yeah, I mean, and I, I have no life. I've never had a life, and I enjoy my job, so. I would just work pretty much nonstop and they needed more content. So I would create more content and yeah, it, it, it set my career on a new path. And like, I'm so grateful for that opportunity. Truly didn't expect it at all. Like I thought if I was going to go into writing again, which I kind of hoped would happen eventually, it would be covering the NBA. Cause I was always partial to, to basketball because I grew up around it more, but I really love football reporting. 
Can you just talk about you get the job, you've kind of always wanted to do that, boom, here you are, you're on the beat now, you're covering the Broncos, like Peyton Manning's the quarterback. How long before you – and maybe it was instant for you. For me, it's not. I Like, it took me quite a while to even, like, understand kind of what I was doing. And people would say really, you know, nice things to me and stuff. And I would just – I would feel like all like I almost faked it all the way, you know. And it took a while for me to actually feel like, okay, yeah, like, this is who I am. Like, I'm really this. Like, I deserve this. Like, I am this. Like, it's okay to be that, you know, like – did you did you go through that you know as you were getting this and, and then how long before you kind of really you know were comfortable in that skin being that person? honestly I, I never felt comfortable I still don't feel comfortable yeah um, there's still yeah I mean it's I mean the first few years were especially hard because you're the new person you don't know really how your your own company works let alone this team this sport like you don't know where to go to find information you don't know what kind of information they need i mean it's just brand new everything you know in the, in the locker room setting is you know is it can be intimidating you know and it was like the only woman in there full time you know Lindsay would come in every now and then sure. but you kind of stand out <laughs> so approaching players I had never met. They don't know me. They don't know anything about me. You know, no. of course they're going to be a little guarded. I probably would be too. So yeah, that was hard. But you know, like you said, the more you're around, the more they see your face, you know, they, you know, it, it becomes a little bit easier just in terms of, approaching guys or, you know, knowing what to watch or, you know, things you should be looking for, that type of thing, how to find the information you need. And then, you know, you have to do a lot of digging on your own to find it too. But yeah, I never felt comfortable. I never felt like... Like, like right now, do you feel like I'm Nikki fucking Jabvala? I cover the, like, I'm a beat reporter for the Washington Post. I cover the Washington football team. Like, like I'm, I'm a top whatever percentage, you know, like, you know what I mean? Like, like, because that's the truth about you, but do you feel that way about you? You know, or do you know, like, I I feel like, why I'm like, why the fuck did they want to hire? Why the hell would they want to hire me? Like, uh, uh, do they like? Did you get the right person? <laughs> I know. Like, I, know. I, I don't belong I mean. yeah. on this stuff. I mean, right, there's right. there's a lot of great journalists at the Washington Post. I'm like, uh, why am I here exactly? <laughs> um, yeah, so crazy. But yeah, I mean, I'm, that's just how I am too. Like, I've always kind of been more self conscious, I guess, and pretty critical of my own. like every every story I turn in. I absolutely hate just the way I am. But yeah, I I never feel comfortable in some ways I hope I'd never do feel fully comfortable because then I, I I worry that you know I'm just going through the motions at that point yeah well so let's just talk about fulfillment then you know you talked about before how like you don't have a life and it's because this is your life this is your lifestyle mm-hmm. and, and I've I often said even when we hire people like hey so this is a lifestyle company and that doesn't mean that just on the outside for the fans and stuff that means for us like we're looking for people that want to live this lifestyle and and if they don't that's fine that doesn't mean they're a bad person or anything it's just that it's probably not going to work out here because we're like obsessed with this this is what we do and you know i think that you have to be like fulfilled by that to be able to do it or else it's you're else you're just going to be miserable so i want to kind of lean that point that i just made up with kind of this idea that you never really 
are fulfilled by the outcome of, of things, but more by just this, mm-hmm. this kind of job there. And it reminds me of this uh, Bill Walsh quote where he said that wins count as zero points and losses count as negative points. And he was, he was making the point that he just could never score up on himself, that he just couldn't find mm-hmm. F- football was no longer delivering any wins for him, no matter what he did. And that's why he eventually mm-hmm. retired like on the top of the world. So anyway, I guess what fulfills you? Do you ever feel like that Bill Walsh quote in the sense of your own content? And, and, and if you do or if you don't, can you just talk about the lifestyle of, of sports and, and how you're fulfilled, yeah. and why you do it and the whole thing? No, I definitely find fulfillment. I find fulfillment more in the, in the process. And, yeah. you know, there, there are stories I like better than others. I don't absolutely detest every single one of them. But, you know, you work, you work on copy for so long, it's like, I, I'm the type I stress over every single word, you know, every sentence construction, every, you know, is this in the right place? Does this headline make sense? Is it misleading? Would it look weird if it's tweeted out this way? Like every little detail, like I stress over and, you know, I, I, I lose sleep over those kinds of things, but I really do enjoy the process. I enjoy the reporting. I enjoy getting to know the people I'm covering. You know, you've been in the NFL locker room. Think about how many great stories just in, you know, the the people you're covering, what they've seen, what they've gone through over the years, what they've experienced, which is, you know, so different from my life. So I enjoy that. I, maybe it's nerdy, but I, I like learning those things and, yeah. and meeting these people. And then, you know, the finished product, once you see it out there, you know, yeah, there's stories I like you know, more than others, certainly, but it is fulfilling to put in that kind of work and you do see a tangible product. So yeah, I find the whole process to be gratifying. It's just, it's, it's what I love. Like I love kind of the, I, I always kind of view it as putting a puzzle together. Anytime you you sit down to write, you know, especially the bigger stories, uh, you know, how are you going to frame it? How are you going to uh, approach interviews how are you going to weave it together and you know how are you going to present it i mean to me every little piece matters and if you're missing one or one's out of place it's not going to be that final picture that you want so and, and i enjoy kind of putting that puzzle together sometimes it's it's really stressful <laughs> um other times it's like really awesome you know yeah that's super cool that's super cool do, do you find like is there do you ever have or have you went through like any identity issues in the sense that like when you work and are this, you know, kind of involved and committed, you end up like identifying as your job as Absolutely. far as like, <laughs> growth as an adult. Can you just talk about that? Yeah. I mean, my mother hates it. Certainly I mean, every day <laughs> I'm asked, like, are you ever going to have kids? Are you ever going to mar- get married? And I'm like, oh, <laughs> I mean, <laughs> uh, when, you know, on my next off day or something, um, so yeah, I, I think about it all the time. I mean, I'm like anybody else, you know, I mean, and, and, you know, having that stuff has always been important to me. Um, and it is difficult with this job because it's, it's 24 seven. Yes. It's sports. Yes. We're paid to cover games and that's awesome. And, but it's, it's also very stressful. It's a very competitive job and it at times feels never ending. So to be good at it, you got to, you got to really commit and 
you know, some people are better at balancing it than, than others. I look at Lindsay, who is, you know, a, a great mom, great wife, and she does awesome work. I'm amazed I've been able to keep my dog alive for two and a half years. <laughs> um, so that's, yeah, it's, it's, it's different for everybody, but yeah, I would absolutely love those things. And there are times where I'm like, all right, well, maybe I need to just focus more on this stuff because I don't, whoever said you could have it all is a liar. <laughs> um, so you got to pick and choose. Okay. So let's, uh, we're, we'll, we'll, uh, throw a couple more in here and, and get this, get you out of here. L let's talk about the athletic. Uh, how was the experience with the athletic? How was that different than working with newspapers and uh, what'd you come away thinking on that? Yeah, it was a great experience. I mean, I had complete autonomy over a beat. I mean, they basically let me trust me to do whatever I want and write about whatever I thought was newsworthy and you know, having a, a big network of other beat writers, there was opportunity for collaboration, which is really cool, especially like, like we did that Peyton Manning oral history, which, you know, wouldn't have been possible for maybe one person solo unless you had all the connections, but you know, we were able to pull together that type of thing. It was really fun. And it, it was fun experimenting and kind of seeing what worked, what didn't, um, you don't have to worry about deadlines and, you know, story lengths and that type of thing. But, you know, it was, there were also times where you do feel kind of lost, like you're on an Island and you kind of would like some direction. So, you know, I mean, there's, there's always kind of that balance, but I, I absolutely love my time at the athletic was not looking to leave, but you know, just good opportunity came up. So, yeah, I mean, I, I hope they continue to do well. I, I think, you know, that subscription model, which, you know, is painted as something new, but it's really not new. Like, I mean, pretty much every newspaper in America has a subscription based model. I mean, it's just, it's just kind of how it's presented and marketed. But, you know, I, I do think if they can make it sustainable where you can have the subscription model without, you know, 18 million ads, I, I, that's interesting to me because, you know, relying on ad money to, to kind of feed your newspaper is, is risky. It's very volatile. So if there's a more sustainable approach, I think that's great. Okay. So we're going to go to, you know what, actually I got one more and then we'll go to the final round. A lot of companies like us have went and pivoted to a more of a lifestyle model that includes you know, different brackets of coverage um, that may include more entertainment stuff. We've got merchandise, obviously. We were doing a ton of watch parties and eventually opened a bar. So we're kind of, kind of went all the way in on that side of it. But the one thing that's different about us than a lot of companies like that is that we actually still have reporters on the ground traveling with teams and stuff. So it's a little different. But with that said, what's your opinion on this kind of lifestyle media that we're seeing creep into kind of everything. Even, even you're looking at the post at Washington post and times opening some, not maybe not necessarily seeped into it in, in the sports side that much, but opening a lot of categories and departments that are interactive and, and lifestyle centered and stuff. So anyway, I guess mm -hmm. I'm rambling on, but, but how do you feel about the lifestyle addition to kind of this coverage as people are trying to create more communities and stuff? Mm -hmm. 
I think in some ways it's kind of always been there, but you know, it's, I guess to what you guys are doing, it's, it's more evolved. I mean, there's always been kind of regional newspapers to kind of, you know, uh, localize things more, which I think is important. I think, you know, there, there is that readership that wants to feel like more of a community and be more, feel like they're more directly involved. So I think you see that in like, different levels. I think it's interesting. I think it's, again, another creative way to make journalism potentially more sustainable. Um, if you can find other ways to, to bolster the business to me, again, this, there's always that balance of maintaining reporter credibility and neutrality. If that's what you really want to do while also doing the lifestyle stuff. And I, I think it's, it's always a fine line. And I think everybody's still kind of navigating that still. And we see more and more of that the lines are blurred. I mean, you know, you see columns that are reported columns now. So you're mixing opinion with news, which, you know, eats at me to my core, but you, you do see more of these crossover type things where it's not as black and white as it was maybe even 10 years ago in journalism. And perhaps it's a, that's a good thing. You know, you got to keep up with the times and perhaps readers don't necessarily want that. So, you know, I, I think it's interesting. I think a, there, a lot of what's going on now is experimentation. I, I think what you guys are doing is, you know, hats off to you guys because I, I think you're trying new things to make journalism work because it's, it's a hard business and your, your readers seem to love it. So well, yeah, I really appreciate that. Okay, so let's jump into the final round here. I got three questions, and hopefully they don't catch you too far off guard here. I, I don't think after this they will. You've, you've been awesome. I really appreciate it. First one, most important book to you of all time? Oh, man. Most important. Most important. Gosh. Is there something that impacted your, maybe changed your perception, impacted you? Maybe it, maybe it you think back to that book more than any other one. Catcher in the Rye. And I, I don't know why I say important, but it was, I don't know. I really related to that book Which in one? many ways. <laughs> Catcher in the Rye. Okay. Um, I really did like that book. I'm trying to think. Because I like a lot of different books for different reasons, but I also like other mediums like certain newspapers, certain editions of newspapers have really spoken to me. Um, Are you, so, you seem to me like you would be like a biography reader. No. I like some biographies. I do lean more toward nonfiction than fiction. I think I'm yeah. just too cynical, frankly. Sure, um, sure. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I do read some fiction. I don't know. It's kind of the way I'm wired. It's just hard for me to kind of just escape and dive into fiction sometimes i don't maybe it's just beat it's destroyed me yeah yeah <laughs> no i i can be like that too i i like fiction that is set in a real world thing where, where i'm reading this and i'm saying this is definitely like a, somebody who understands whatever environment they're writing right about, you know right, right exactly not necessarily um, like make believe in the sense i do like jane austen i don't know it's kind of sappy but it's the pros that I really like. I know it's, it's, you know, I don't like to admit it often, but I really do like Jane <laughs> Okay. Second question. Most underrated athlete of all time. Oh my gosh. 
Oh, I thought you said these would be easy. <laughs> oh. You know, this one's tough if you're in sports because you've just seen, covered, talked to, or just watched yeah. so many underrated guys. So to pick one's kind of crazy. I don't know if I could ever call anybody the most underrated of all time. Yeah. Can I give you one underrated? Yeah, sure. Not necessarily sure, sure, the sure, most. Sure, sure. Who do you think was underrated? I still think that Keith Tlaib is underrated. You notice he's getting passed up for all like these Hall of Fame groups and everything. He missed the I mean, 2010s team for how? How, I, how? how do you I mean, leave a Keith Tlaib off? That's ridiculous. Yeah. Well, so Chris Harris I mean, I, over him. For, I think it would have it was going to be Chris or, or a Keeb on that because because the other one was like Revis and was it Revis? Well, Reeves probably when Sherman Sherman I oh, think Sherman, Sherman was on Sherman, that. Yeah, yeah, Sherman's definitely in the team. Yeah, Reeves but you know a lot of his off the field stuff. I probably oh, influencing yeah, yeah. it. Um, yeah. But I think as a player um, and just talking to him, I'm talking purely football here, people. Sure, um, sure, sure. Um, I do think he's somewhat underrated. <laughs> oh. Definitely not the most underrated at all. You know, at all. Yeah, I mean, well, people you know, know he, like he's, he's one of those guys, like, if he's underrated, it's because he's so great that even just calling him really great or, 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 or like, or yeah. the best isn't good enough or something like that. Right. Right. It's it's like yesterday I talked about Ladanian Tomlinson being underrated, and it's like, well, he's in the Hall of Fame, he's this and that, but like, Ladanian Tomlinson's like arguably the greatest all around running back of all time. Right. Exactly. He's in the like, Hall of Fame. How, right. You know. And, and, and he's never in that convo of like Barry Sanders yeah. and Smith, like those guys or whatever. Right. Um, I mean, I do think in terms of underappreciated, I would put Demarius Thomas in that category, definitely. But I don't know if he's necessarily underrated. I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Last one, the space or business that you're most excited about in the near future. I don't know. <laughs> I'm too broke to consider that stuff. <laughs> um, maybe, maybe even a development in, in uh, news or media. Development in news or media. These are not easy, Stano. <laughs> You know, an example is like, I really love live stream right now. I think that that's a space like you're seeing people go live right after games from yeah. the press box or you're seeing them do kind of everything live radio guys going live. You're seeing beat writers going live right after practice at training camps. I think live is going to be like, I, I think that's like the next big medium in our industry. Mm -hmm. Periscope, YouTube, live Twitch, you know? Yeah. There's one thing I don't like it because it's going to eventually put me out of the job, but I will say it's notable and I kind of want to do a story on it, but you're noticing more and more athletes are taking more control of their own narrative. Like in the off seasons, they hire personal videographers, mm. personal photographers, mm. and they're really like, I, I always go back to the, to Manuel Sanders, you know, when he was recovering from Achilles, he had both ankles done. Right. And had he not posted anything on social, people would just assume that there's no way this guy comes back. There's absolutely no way he's going to come back and be half as good as he was. But because he posted all these videos of, you know, his off season, look how good he is working out. And, you know, he has a personal videographer and he controls what goes up and what doesn't, what people see, what they don't see. 
I think that that completely changed the narrative for him. And I, I you're starting to see more athletes, more public figures kind of controlling their own narrative through social media and yeah, Twitter and Instagram, they've all been around, but you haven't necessarily seen a lot of these guys really put their own money behind it to really tell their own stories, you know? And I, you know, I mean, that's just my view. I mean, I, there are a lot of guys out here in DC that like Dwayne Haskins did that this off season where, you know, he posted a lot of clips of his, of his workouts and he hired a, a videographer who traveled with them to all these places. And now coming into this season, people have seen that he's lost weight that he's worked out with pretty much every big name receiver in the NFL. And they're super hyped about year yeah. two with Dwayne Haskins. So yeah, that's, so that's, stop doing that players. It puts me out of work. <laughs> that's cool. Yeah. That's actually a great one. How amazing is Alex Smith? I mean, wow. Oh my God. What a story. Unbelievable. Just, I mean, he's, he's just a different kind of guy in and of himself. I think the medical marvel of all of this is just, that's yeah. underrated. I mean, he, what that medical team did. He's kind of a super like non-ego guy too. You think he could be cool? Like it, it, just like mentoring Dwayne Haskins, if it comes down to that. I'm sure he, he wants to clearly get back on the field. Yeah. Right, but right. I mean, how many other, he was in that situation with Kaepernick in San Francisco. He yeah. was in this situation with Pat Mahomes in Kansas city. Yeah. And those guys have, have praised him for the kind of teammate he is. So I think he, Alex is just different. You know, the thing about him that's, that's, and this will be tough for Dwayne. We're getting into sports now, but you know, Nikki, he's just so accurate and he's super safe and he can just really put you in a position to win mm -hmm. every single game. And so, mm -hmm. you know, further down the road, when you, when you get as a team, sometimes you need more than that, but boy, if you're the Redskins, that has to be looking like really appetizing right now because sure. that can put you in a position to win all of them, you know? Yeah. No, he's, he's seen a lot of football over the years. He's a smart guy. He's in great shape. I don't, I don't, I'm so curious to see how he fits this offense. It's basically North Turner's offense. Um, and that's just not the kind of player that he is. You know, he's, yeah. he's not a deep ball guy. So yeah. we'll see, but he's, you know, he's, I, I think maybe again, underrated, you know, he's always been that oh, yeah. game manager Definitely. type, but, right, right, right. Um, but yeah, I, I he looks good out there. I'm not going to lie. I mean, he hasn't faced a full rush. Oh, though, so we'll throw, see. I mean, I mean, he throws him. He throws a great football. I mean, he throws, yeah, it's as good really as does. a ball. He's that's as good as a ball outside of arm yeah. strength. Like that's as good as a ball. Anyone else is going to throw. Yeah. Yeah. So, okay. Let's just do this last one. And then you're out of here. You're off the hook. We went in over an hour here with no female in sports question. So <laughs> <laughs> got to get it in. Yeah. 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 Got to, got to, got to bite the apple here. So let's actually, instead of talking about kind of being a female in sports or even a minority female in sports, let's talk about the change from 2007 to now, because um, as someone who's been in the industry that entire time as well, I think that it's, I, I think that it's changed completely. I think that, you know, just to be blunt, I think women are much more respected now than they were 15 years ago. So, and, and, and that doesn't mean that like they weren't, I just don't, I just think that there was like a, I, I don't think people 
I don't think a lot of people think twice now when they see a female reporter or a football reporter or something like that. And, and, and I'm sure a lot of people still do, but just compared to then, I think that there was like a, I think people did negatively, you know, I, I think it was harder. So anyway, uh, I shouldn't be getting my perception on it. You, why don't you tell us how it's been? You know, from, generally it's, I, I kind of like being different. Um, yeah, yeah. you know, like in Denver, it was no offense, but it was mostly white males covering the team. So I, I kind of liked being different. It was hard at first, sure. You know, I mean, there were a lot of people who were skeptical about, you know, what what can you possibly understand about football? How can you possibly know what these guys deal with? You know, you don't belong. And I mean, I still get a lot of that stuff. Go back in the kitchen. I never cooked to begin with. Like, stop <laughs> saying that. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Twitter. Um, <laughs> right, right, right. I mean, you, you get all of that. And it's, it's just, it's, too stupid to entertain i think yeah it, it has gotten better i mean in terms of access it's there are few instances where it, it you know it generally it's better you know you still get some people who question whether you're capable of talking about a game even though most of the people that i work next to in that media room i've never played football either um sorry guys didn't mean to throw you under the bus there (laughs) um (laughs) but yeah i mean you're always gonna have this skeptic you can't please anybody and that's true of any industry right there are there are things still that definitely need to improve but i I do think there's a a heightened awareness certainly Uh, i think this year especially has created a lot of change not just with women sports reporters but society in general and I, I hope that you know doors continue to open i mean i'm doing what i'm doing because of other women before me who made you know difficult decisions and and spoke up and really mm-hmm. fought for a lot of the things that you know i is just common to me now you know i mean women weren't allowed in the locker room for the longest time and so you know there there are definitely things that need improvement for sure i've experienced a lot of those things that need (laughs) improvement but you know what we deal with i i like to think it can also be an advantage in a lot of ways but there are also some difficult things that you know that you just hope can continue to improve because we've come a long ways from where we were even just 10 years ago you know so I don't, I don't want to be like that female reporter. I just want to be a reporter. Like, right, right, right. You know, I know, I know that's why truly the case. Yeah, I'm, a, I'm always going to be different, but like, right. I don't want to be known as like that right. reporter. Which is why, you know? I mean, we like, could have, like, we could have not even done that question. I know you would have. No, I, I don't, I don't mind I at all. No, I, I, just, I, no, I know, I know totally. Yeah. But like, that's not your shtick is like, let's every walk around, talk about the female reporter thing everywhere. But, you know, I mean, I think that, it, it has changed. You do get weird stuff on social. Like, so it's, you know, it's something that's probably, especially for other females that are probably trying to figure this out, you know, probably something. Yeah, it's just different. Like I, you, you think about like, I have to think about, can I ask a, a player for his phone number where anybody else in the mm. locker room is like, Never thought about that one. Never, never, thought, never about, thought about that one. You know, can you act, can I actually have coffee with a coach in the off season? Is he going to get the wrong impression? Can I wear what I'm wearing? Is it going to give off the wrong little things that, you know, guys 
don't really have to deal with. But, oh, no, not you know, at all. You got to be aware of. So. That's, those are great points. Man, this Bye. was awesome. Thank you so much. Of course. Thanks for having me. <laughs> cool, cool. So what's next for you? What do you got going on? Um, what's next for me is back to practice tomorrow. Back to, back to practice tomorrow. <laughs> yeah. Training camp. Okay. The grind cool. continues. So. All right. Yeah. All right. Well, hey, thank you so much for the time today. This was this was really awesome. We talked about everything and, and anything. And so I know your time's super valuable. So I, uh, uh, even though you'll pretend it's not, uh, I, so I really appreciate you. Thank you so much, Nikki. You bet. Have a good one.